0: This is episode number 17 of the Evening Under Lamplight podcasts with Robert Louis Abrahamson making our way down through Dante's Inferno. It may be episode 17, but we're only at canto 15 in the midst of those who are violent against God. Today we look at those who are specifically violent against nature, which is regarded as God's property, and remember, a person's property was regarded as part of that person's identity. We left Dante and Virgil beginning to cross that sterile plain where flakes of fire rain down onto the sand, setting the sand on fire, flames coming from above and below. We saw Capanius stretched out on the sand, scorning the flames, but being burned nevertheless by his ego-centred rage against God, whom he regards as being in competition with him. Dante and Virgil are crossing on the raised stone embankment of a stream flowing from the river Phlegathon, that river of boiling blood they'd seen a few cantos before. The vapors from that stream have the power to extinguish the flakes of fire falling right above it, and so Dante can safely proceed. Now Dante sees a group of souls coming alongside, each of them peering up at Dante, squinting to try to make out who he is. And one of them recognizes Dante. Qual maraviglia! What a marvel to see you here. And this person reaches out his hand as if to shake Dante's, or just grab hold of his garment, or maybe to feel if he's really real. Dante looks down into the face, all scarred and scabbed, with incessant burning, and, and just manages to see that it's Brunetto Latini, one of the most respectable scholars and writers and political figures of the previous generation, a man who had taught Dante so much, though whether in person, as an actual teacher, or through his writings, it's not really clear. You don't mind, he says, if I slow down a little and let the others of my troop go ahead so I can talk with you? I mind? Of course not, Dante replies. I'd be happy just to sit down here and talk with you if my leader allows me. No, we can't do that, Brunetto says. If I stop moving along even for a second, the rules of the region say that I'll have to lie flat on the ground for a hundred years, unable to brush off any of these flakes of fire. Let's just walk along together for a bit, and then I'll rush to rejoin my group. And so they proceed, Dante walking with his head bowed down to hear what Brunetto has to say. Brunetto asks the question that most of those damned souls want to know. How did it come about that you're making this journey through hell while still alive? And who is that guide up there in front of you? Brunetto never gets an answer to the second question, but Dante clearly and succinctly answers the first question, giving us a kind of recap of the purpose of the whole book. He had lost his way, and then he, that is Virgil, appeared, to lead him, Dante, back home by this route. Well, says Brunetto encouragingly, follow your star and you will certainly come to a glorious end, as I could see even back there in the sunlit life above.' I'm sorry I died so soon, because otherwise I would have given you a helping hand in your endeavors. And then he goes into a long political thread, warning Dante against those savage people from Fiesole, a town just outside Florence, who back in Roman times came down into Florence and who will soon set themselves as enemies to the good things Dante will be trying to do. Don't get caught in their uncouth habits, he warns and then he predicts that both parties are going to oppose Dante. He expresses a wish that the Fiesel Contingent would consume themselves and spare any of those, presumably like himself and Dante, who come from the pure Roman stock. Dante takes this in, but he replies in a different direction. I, I, "'I wish you had not died so soon,' he tells Brunetto. "'I have such fond memories of your dear, kind self "'teaching me how to become eternal.' I'll always be grateful for that. But back to your point about my future problems. Yes, I've taken all that in. I've heard similar news already. I'll just wait until later when all will be made clear by the insightful lady I shall meet. I've learned to submit to what fortune brings me. Virgil looks back at this point with the enigmatic line, He's a good listener who takes in what he's listening to. Next, Dante wants to know who are some of the others in Brunetto's group running on the sands. There are some you'd like to know, he tells Dante, and he names a few, but there's no time to mention all the others. They were all literary people, great scholars, down here in this place because of just one sin. He then excuses himself. He has to run off to join his fellows, since there's another group, not his group, coming near them, and he's not allowed to mix with them. He asks Dante to remember his famous book, but it's not clear whether he means his great encyclopedia written in French, the Trésor, or his long narrative poem written in Italian, the Tesoretto, a model for Dante's poem, also written in the vernacular Italian. And then he's off, running to catch the others, as we get a final glance of his naked body racing away. With that image, the canto ends. And so and so, what can we say about this canto? The pattern of the canto is pretty simple. We get a description of the raised embankment of which Dante and Virgil are walking, and then there's the meeting between Dante and Brunetto-Latini, which starts out hesitantly as the two gradually recognize each other, then moves to Dante's recent history and Brunetto's prediction of a great future for Dante but then shows that Dante's future will include exile. We have Dante's response to this news, and then the canto ends with Brunetto racing away. In this ring of the violent against God, Dante is showing us those who are violent against nature. The example he chooses to illustrate this is sodomy, that is homosexuality. It's clear in what sense this is violence, in the sense of a violation, against nature, a violation of the male-female sexual intercourse, a perversion in many cultures, certainly in Dante's time, not just because the church called it a sin, but because the macho Italian world would have scorned such things. But more obviously, and more in keeping with the setting, gay sex is a violation because, like the barren sand, it is sterile, Sex without fruitfulness seems to be the real sin here. You're in for the pleasure, but nothing comes from the pleasure. Wait, what about what about a loving relationship? Isn't that good fruit that often comes out of a gay relationship? Yes, to be sure, though I think Dante conceives of gay sex as just the quick comings together, perhaps surreptitiously. The concept of a relationship, let alone a marriage, between gay men surely would have seemed very strange to Dante. As for lesbians, my understanding is that same-sex relations between women was not counted as a sin, since there was no penetration, no obvious violation of nature there. Well, that's just one example of violence to nature. We can pretty easily come up with others, from genetic modification to our abuse of the environment, down also, I suppose, to plastic surgery or even something like needlessly swatting insects that are doing no damage. But we want to go a little further, into what Dante shows us is the state of mind of people who are violent against nature. What do the details of this canto tell us about that? We have to look again at this interview with Brunetto to see what's there. A clue might come when we realize that Brunetto, great scholar and public servant that he was, was described by an early commentator as someone whose concerns were strictly worldly, with no thought for the soul. In this respect, he, he's a heretic, isn't he, and could be placed in the burning tomb with Farinata. In fact, his speech is very similar to Farinata's. They both predict Dante's exile, and they are both apparently obsessed with the civil factions in Florence. Dante addresses both of them as a voy, the respectful form of you. But whereas Farinata can scarcely bring himself to acknowledge Dante's presence, Brunetto is just the opposite, reaching up to touch Dante's garment, calling him my son. And Dante speaks of Brunetto's dear, good, paternal person. This seems to make Brunetto a better person than Farinato, but I I've I've begun to wonder about this. We have to be a little suspicious of the characters in Hell who seem at first to be sympathetic. Like Francesca and Pierre d'Elevigny, the way they speak might reveal more about their inner nature. And how does Brunetto speak to Dante? He tells Dante to follow his star and he will unfailingly come to a glorious port, like a sailor successfully navigating across the seas. The port that Brunetto has in mind is, apparently, fame as a writer. You're destined for fame, he seems to be saying. I've always known that, and I'm sorry I can't be alive or I'd help you achieve it. But is earthly fame the glorious port that really matters? Is this what Dante is on this journey through hell to achieve? That kind of fame, praise for your well-written books, is ego pleasure, isn't it? It's obviously a real temptation for someone like Dante, but we can see it as a kind of violence against nature, against his own nature, using his natural talents for self-promotion rather than, say, for service to others. You have to be aware of your star, to be sure, and use it to help you see your capabilities. But perhaps you have to do more than just follow it as an end in itself. And let's look at the other topic Brunetto raises. He goes on with what seems some vehemence, blaming the uncouth race descended from Fiesole for the problems in Florence. And even for the exile, he says, is coming soon for Dante. In contrast to the Fiesolans, there are the Florentine citizens descended from the Roman settlers in the city. We're talking about events over 1,300 years previously, when Caesar's Roman army destroyed the rebels in Fiesole, and then both Roman and Fiesolean people settled in Florence. Brunetto speaks in what we today know as ethnic discrimination, dismissing a whole ethnic people with stereotypes as inferior. And he praises the Roman stock as being the true aristocrats, the ones who are the worthy citizens of Florence. By implication, he is reminding Dante that he is one of that pure Roman stock and it's the inferior ethnic people now mixing with the Roman blood who will be responsible for Dante's downfall. See, see, what's he doing here? Well, like his talk about Dante's star leading him to a glorious port, here too he's stroking Dante's ego, trying to get him now to regard himself as part of the superior race. This is not what he has come on this journey to learn. It's a wrong use of nature to make racial differences into a cause of division and resentment and hostility. How does such a thing promote community? Dante does not seem to be tempted by Brunetto's ego-centered talk. It's no mistake that Dante begins his dialogue with Brunetto by repeating the events of the first canto, reminding himself and us that he had lost the right path, presumably by trying to follow the star that Brunetto advises him to follow, and is undergoing this arduous journey to save his soul. The crucial moment comes when Dante admits that he owes much to Brunetto and will take note of what he says about Dante's future. But he's learned a more important lesson from Virgil, a better teacher than Brunetto here someone, by the way, whom Dante does not identify, even though Brunetto had asked who was accompanying him. Through Virgil, Dante has learned not to become obsessed with vague predictions of a disaster coming to him in the years ahead, but to wait until these things are explained further by a lady who will know what it means, and in the meanwhile he is ready to follow fortune, that is, dame fortune, who shapes the events in our lives according to divine will. (laughs) <laughs> this is a different kind of star to follow, leading to a more glorious port. No no wonder that Virgil breaks his silence at this point and turns back to praise Dante for having learnt so well what he had been telling him in previous cantos. In secular terms, if we want them... Submitting to the divine will, open to whatever fortune brings, is the same thing as living in the moment, not projecting onto the future, such as needlessly worrying about this news of an exile, and accepting what is here, in the moment, dealing with it as it comes. That, it seems, is the right way to use nature, that is, the right way to make use of the natural occurrences and our natural talents. And so, although Brunetto has landed in this sterile desert because of his homosexuality, we limit our reading if we focus only on this aspect. Dante is presenting Brunetto not as a reproach to gay sex, which gets only one oblique mention in the canto, and not even in a larger sense to condemn other abuses of nature, such as fracking or polluting the sea with plastic, He goes much further to show the way the wrong use of nature leads us to fruitless ends like earthly fame or ethnic factions. It's just sterile. Well, let's end by seeing more precisely just where this wrong use leads us. What is Brunetto's situation? He's constantly being burned, scalded almost out of all recognition. That's what happens when you invest your ego in the pursuit of fame or racial hostility. The next book review that has two lines of slight criticism of your work? Another flake of fire on your shoulder. Impoverishing your social life so you can get a top degree? Ouch, you've just stepped on another flaming bit of sand. You see an immigrant family pulling into the parking space you'd hoped to get? Oh, (laughs) another flake right on your forehead this time. Looking at the world like this never lets you rest. Or or if you do rest and stop this striving and this hostility to those you consider inferior, your stopping reverts you to the position of a blasphemer, lying supine in the sand, tormented by your unsatisfied ego in the way we saw last time. And another reason why you have to keep moving. You have to stay with the people of your own kind, (laughs) The ego is not secure enough. It needs the confirmation of people like itself. The ego, alas, for all its vaunting that it is different and special, is dependent on others, humiliatingly running with bare backside to catch them up. And Brunetto's final words reveal what really matters to him. All he asks, all he asks, is that Dante should not forget his book, but this, but this request is so inconsequential in any larger scheme of things that it's, it's not even clear which of his books he means. I don't ask for anything more than that, he says. Brunetto Latini is not here primarily for the sin of homosexuality. He's here because he has offended God by not seeing the material world as useful for anything more than worldly success. That's his violence against nature and it's as sterile in the long run as the sands on which it's enacted. No more about this. Let's move on to the next canto. See you next time.